action. Let's talk hockey. Welcome to the Gackle Report brought to you by the Bay Area News Group. I'm your host, Paul Gackle, coming to you from sunshiny Orange County this morning. Why am I down here? Well, of course, the San Jose Sharks picked up a big division win last night against their Southern California rivals. Cue up the Darth Vader music, the Imperial March, a 2-1 come-from-behind victory over the Los Angeles Kings at Staples Center. The Sharks get out of a weekend where they very well could have gone 0-2 with four points against the Pacific Division, and that's four points without giving away any in an overtime game. Now they trail the Kings by just four points for first place in the Pacific Division at 10-6. All we've heard about over the first six weeks of this season here is that little engine that could the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights. And look, look at the start the Vegas Golden Knights are off to. Can you believe those Vegas Golden Knights? What a story those Vegas Golden Knights are. Well, guess what? The Sharks are just one point behind the Golden Knights now. I have the feeling they will be leapfrogging them in the near future. No disrespect to the Golden Knights. Great story. But all good things do come to an end at some point in time. The Sharks have now won six of their last seven games. The lone blemish there coming against the Tampa Bay Lightning Wednesday, who swept their California road trip with a 2-1 win over the Anaheim Ducks last night. The Sharks have also won eight of their last 11. The Sharks continue to get it done with defense. Martin Jones Stops 26 of the 27 shots he faced against the Kings last night. The Sharks rank first in the NHL in goals against average 225. And listen to this. The Kings are second, but they're at 241. That's significant. The Sharks are also first in shots against at 28.8 per game. They're second on the penalty kill at 88.5%. And that tells you something about who this team is. You look at the shot charts, everything is to the outside. They don't give up much in the middle of the ice. Well, except for when the Lightning are in town, of course. Now, but. There's always a but, right? And of course, it's the storyline we've been talking about, well, pretty much since the end of last year. Definitely since Patrick Marlowe left for Toronto. And at the beginning of training camp, does this team have enough offense to get it done? We'll dive into Timo Meyer's fine here a little bit later. And we'll talk a little bit about the power play. What's the antonym for power? It's weakness, I guess. Whatever. Not a lot of power in that power play right now. But as I was saying, this offense ranks 22nd in goals per game. 30th in 5-on-5 goals, just 24 on the season. And that was dead last before the Sharks notched a couple of third-period goals last night. And And on this subject matter, how to generate more offense, well, it finally happened last night. The cat was officially let out of the bag at about 7.35 p.m., 
on November 12th, 2017. The Sharks opened the game with Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton on separate lines. The first time during the Pete DeBoer era that he has split up Joe and Joe. Thornton skated with Don Skoy and Melker Carlson. Pavelski up on a juiced up top line with Lone Couture and Tomas Hurdle. But by the third period, the Joes were back together and the Sharks pulled off the comeback with two third period goals. The tying goal from Melker Carlson on the rush with Lone Couture. But now that DeBoer has teased this, I think a path has been blazed if he wants to go back to this at some point. Here's how he explained it last night. We were just looking for a little offense despite the score Saturday night. Of course, that 5-0 game against Vancouver. I didn't feel like we generated a lot offensively. They didn't. It was just a different look. That's it, huh, coach? I thought through two periods, all the lines looked pretty good. He's talking about his switch back to the Joes last night. But we weren't sticking the puck in the net. So we put some guys back together, some familiarity, and we ended up finding a way to get a couple. This move stirred up a lot of chatter on Twitter last night. I heard you guys out there. What do you guys think? Feel free to shoot me a message. You can email me. You can Twitter me. You can Facebook me. Heck, you can call me. Should I just throw my number out here? I love talking to you guys. We, we, need, to, we need to figure out a way to do another live show because um, I, I, it would be real fun to get down together at one of these local watering holes in San Jose and really talk this out. Yeah, you you guys listen to me all the time. I want to hear more from you. But what do you guys think of this? Split them up or keep them together? These guys have been pretty inseparable for what, the last five, six years? Honestly, I don't think there's an absolute answer to this question. Well, there just aren't a lot of absolutes in this world, to tell you the truth. We appreciate the beauty of gray here on the Gackle Report. But I do think that this is something worth experimenting with. And just another card that DeBoer can play in his deck. Here's my thought. While you can't deny what two elite caliber players bring when they're playing together, this has been the foundation of one of the league's top lines for years. So strong on the forecheck, they can pound and wear you down. I do feel like the Pavelski-Thornton combination accentuates one of this team's biggest flaws, and that's the speed issue. You've got a 38-year-old player skating on a bum knee and one of the slowest skating forwards in an era that's all about speed, speed, speed. Now, Thornton's one of the greatest passers of all time. One of the greatest possession players of his generation. And Pavelski, who wouldn't want this guy on their team? Best shot deflector in the league. He's small, but he's hard. He goes to the inside. He gets his work done on the doorstep. 
He's a first-liner with a fourth-liner's work ethic. But that line obviously just isn't as dominant right now as it was a couple years ago when the Sharks went to the Cup. You want to see a dominant line? Watch the Lightning. Watch what we saw last week in California with Steven Stamkos, Kucherov, Nemesnikov. You can see that type of dominance when McClellan puts McDavid with Dreisaitl. When I watch my hometown Winnipeg Jets, any combination of Shifley, Line A, Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler, Nick Ehlers, they're big, they fly. We're not getting that type of offense from the Sharks anymore. So why not give things another look? I've often wondered what Thornton would look like if he had some speed on his wings. He's still one of the greatest passers in the game. What if he was paired up with a Johnny Goodrow type? Wouldn't he be springing a player like that left, right, and center? Now, that's not really fair because the Sharks don't have that type of guy in the lineup. But they could speed things up for him by shuffling the deck a little bit. Likewise, I've spent many a sleepless night and I'm sort of acknowledging that I don't have a life here, but I've spent many a sleepless night staring at my ceiling, wondering about a Couture-Pavelski combination. This is what I think about when I drink too much coffee. Sometimes I yell into the mic like I am right now too. They're both so hard. They're both so good around the net. They both have hockey sense off the charts. I really think that Cooch could accentuate Pavelski's skill set and Pavelski could give Couture that scoring winger that he's lacked in the wake of Marlowe's departure to Toronto. You know, maybe this was just a two-period experiment to give the Sharks a charge. But now that we've gone there, we've gone there. And I think it opens up a lot of options for Pete DeBoer if this is just another thing that he can go to when he needs to shuffle the deck. And with how stagnant this offense is, that's exactly what the Sharks needed, a shakeup. And that's where you had to turn. I endorse it. And only time will tell if that's a better look for the San Jose Sharks. Now let's turn to Timo Meyer's fine. The maximum allowable under the NHL and the NHL Players Association's collective bargaining agreement. It's based on a percentage of his salary. Meyer received a five-minute major and a game misconduct penalty Saturday night for whacking Vancouver Canucks defenseman Michael Dozato in the chin with what looked like the butt end of his stick. Maybe it was just his glove. We can debate on that. That was after Dozato took him down with a cross check along the boards, kind of getting him from behind. It was a reactionary play from Timo Meyer, and it looked bad. Now listen. I know Timo, and I'm not saying he's a dirty player. I know some of you reacted to my story that way. He just isn't. And shoot, I've clocked somebody before in the heat of battle just like that. So I get it. I understand how that type of thing happens. 
And Timo really is an accountable player too. When I talked to him about it last night, he expressed regret, and I have a lot of respect for that. One thing I've learned about Timo Meyer over the last two years is that he always owns up. And of course, he isn't a repeat offender, and that's probably a big reason why he was fined and not suspended by the NHL Department of Player Safety. But my feeling on this is that he deserved a game. Why? Because he clocked him in the head. And what is it that we're talking about every day here in professional sports? Head injuries. How do we protect the head? It was a vicious shot toward a guy's head. And if we're serious about offering these guys as much protection from concussions as possible, that's the type of play the league really needs to do something about. That's the type of play the league needs to take every effort it can to eliminate. Look, you can't take the risk of head injuries out of the game. I get that. You can't eliminate it completely. You just can't. We've got high speeds. We've got boards. We've got contact. We've got giant super athletes. Stuff is going to happen. But we, we can create some deterrence from the type of plays that are more likely to cause head injuries. And I just don't feel like you can allow a guy to take a shot at a guy's head like that anymore. And also, if we're trying to get away from fighting... And this is another area that leaves guys susceptible to head injuries. We can really help that cause by stepping in and applying an appropriate penalty to this type of play so that teams don't feel like they have to take justice into their own hands. I was actually surprised the Canucks didn't come after the Sharks. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it isn't. Because it leaves the door open to future cheap shots. Telling teams, hey, you know what? You can go after our guys. We're not going to do anything about it. Talked to Pete DeBoer about this last night. Wanted his opinion on whether the punishment matched the crime. He says, five years ago, they wouldn't even talk about that. And now, all of a sudden, it's a headline. I get it, Pete. It's true. I get what he's saying. But listen, Pete. Five years ago, we weren't hearing stories about a guy like Paul Correa who went into the Hall of Fame last weekend and can't even remember the biggest goal of his career because he was concussed. Now, I'm not saying this is Pete DeBoer because I do think that Pete is a very progressive-minded coach in a lot of ways, and I've talked to him about concussions and head injuries, and I think he's on the right side of history. So I want to be very clear about this. But to some of the other folks out there that think that we're just softening up the game of hockey, are we global warming deniers here? Are we going to really deny science because the truth that science is revealing is uncomfortable? Because science is making us think at the end of a long day, right? Science is making us think right now. I get it. All we want to do is go home after a long day of work, turn on the TV, turn off our brains. I get it. 
but I also don't want guys to be suffering later in life, life to experience mood, wing, mood swings, to suffer memory loss, all for the sake of my entertainment. We need to take this issue seriously. And to do so, the league needs to make it clear that that type of play just doesn't fly anymore. Now, just to bring in an outside perspective, though, I spoke with Brett Hedekin in the dining hall last night in Los Angeles, and he disagrees with my take here. He believes that Meyer got somewhat unlucky and that he reacted, turned around, threw his fist, and his stick rode up Delzato's stick, and that's why he caught him in the chin. And listen, I have a lot of respect for Hedy. And when he talks about the game, I listen. Because he's been in the trenches. I haven't. I sit in the press box eating popcorn and drinking unleaded coffee. So with that in mind, I am giving Meyer the benefit of the doubt. But I still think the end result of that play winds up being a player who gets hot in the collar and turning around and socking the guy. And I just think we need to get away from that as a league. Like I said, I don't think Timo's malicious. But I think that era that DeBoer's talking about five years ago, where this wouldn't even get a sniff. When you got your tough guy card for clocking someone, those days are over. It's weird. It's hard for me to say that. Because growing up in Winnipeg, Every recess soccer game in grade school ended in a brawl because we were kids who watched hockey every night. And we learned that masculinity is you stand up for yourself. You drop the gloves, even if you're going to get your butt kicked. That's what you do. That's how you be a man. That's the culture I grew up in. It's so intertwined with this game of hockey. And so wanting to preserve my masculinity a little bit here, I feel like I don't want to be perceived as soft. Because I'm not a granola-eating hippie, folks. I don't want these guys to be exchanging flowers at center ice instead of punches when something like this goes down. But I just feel like we need to acknowledge that that culture that I grew up in, where fighting is a rite of passage... That doesn't fly anymore because guys are having serious long-term health consequences from fighting. We've got to move on or we won't even have a game in 20, 30 years. Let's get to the power play. Got to get to this real quick. I know I'm running late here, but what a mess. What a mess. You want me to say it again? What a mess. Fine. The power play is now 0 for its last 12. And we're just seeing turnovers galore. They look lackadaisical out there, quite frankly. They're giving up more chances than they create. They're sucking the momentum out of the game. Like Saturday night, 5 on 5, they were all over the Canucks in the first. They go on the power play. They have a just horrendous power play. 
and for the rest of the game was all Canucks. Your power play, as Logan Couture says, should be giving you energy, not taking it away. And they've taken four penalties now in their last three games. Pavelski on back-to-back nights. Now, there's some suggestion out there, and DeBoer was even asked about this, about shaking up the lineup on that top unit, mixing things up. Listen, that's a nice little hot take, but let's get realistic here. The Sharks aren't a team like, I mentioned Winnipeg earlier, where you you have guys like Line and Shifley and Wheeler and Ehlers and... You know, you can maybe swap out some equal quality parts from your first unit to your second unit. This is a team that has four Olympic caliber players on its top unit. And then when you go to the second unit, there's a big drop-off. There is a significant drop-off when we're talking about going from Joe Thornton or Joe Pavelski to Tomas Hurdle and Mikel Bodker. There just is. No offense to the second unit guys. When we go from Logan Couture to Joel Ward, or Brent Burns to Joachim Ryan, or Mark Edward Vlasic. These guys, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, Brent Burns, they don't need a kick in the butt. These aren't fourth, third line, fourth line guys, or you know, 22-year-old, 23-year-old rookies where they need to be pulled off out of the lineup to get a message from their coach. There's no coaching gimmicks that's going to work with these guys. And realistically, what kind of a move are you going to make that's going to really be effective here? And who are you going to pull off? And what are the consequences of that? You think Joe Pavelski needs to be sent a message? Lone Couture needs a message. Joe Thornton needs a message. I mean, who are you going to take off? Joe Thornton is one of the greatest passers in the history of the National Hockey League. You're going to pull him off the top line? Joe Pavelski is one of the best shot deflectors in the game. You're going to pull him out of the top unit? Brent Burns with that shot? You're going to pull him off the top unit? Lone Couture, one of the best, I think the best all-around player in your team. There's just no easy fix to this. And by the way, the only guy that that realistically you could swap out of this group is Tim Heed. And you can't tell me that the power play's ineptitude over the last five or six games is Tim Heed's fault. And he's actually one of the, the, the good things that they have going here in that He's a guy that with his shot can actually give Brent Burns some more opportunity to make hay. Because with that shot, he can either get it on net or he can draw the defense away and maybe open up some windows for Brent Burns over time. The power play stinks right now, no doubt about it. But I don't think that this is a problem that DeBoer can solve by waving a magic wand and simply shuffling up the deck. These guys are going to have to figure it out. A lot of times it falls on the shoulders of the athletes. And it doesn't look like this group is playing with urgency. You look at the way the Tampa Bay Lightning move the puck around, they're just zipping it around. 
I don't see that out of the Sharks on the power play. I see a team holding on to the puck. I see a team trying to get a little too fancy. I see a team expecting it to come because it's always come. It's got to come from within that group. If you're looking from the outside, maybe that gives you a one or two game fix. That ain't going to work in the long run. It's got to come from that group. They got to figure it out. They got to take it upon themselves. That's all the time we have today on the Gackle Report, folks. I believe I'll be back with you on Thursday, getting you ready for the Sharks and the Florida Panthers. Of course, it will mark Bob Bugner's return to San Jose. And we'll see if the Sharks can keep rolling, as I mentioned. Just a point behind Vegas for second place in the Pacific Four behind the Los Angeles Kings. So it's really starting to shake and bake for the Sharks, even though they're looking for a way to score goals. Will Thornton and Pavelski be together, split up? Stay tuned. Curtis Pichelka will be at practice for the Mercury News on Tuesday. So folks, on that note, I'm going to enjoy some good old-fashioned Winnipeg punk rock at Slim's in San Francisco tonight. Propagandi in town. We have a few songs about hockey, so I'll enjoy that. Curtis will be with you on Tuesday. I'll be back with you on Wednesday. On that note, I am out. Get up!